Good morning. Welcome to the show. Happy Sunday morning. Hope everybody had a great, great week. And uh, well, it's Sunday and we are coming again to uh, the close of Black History Month. And it's been a well, it's it's been an active one, y'all. <laughs> uh, to say the least, it's been an active Black History Month. Not all bad. Uh, there's been some great uh, acknowledgments and recognitions. Black history is is uh, more important today uh, as we as we uh, look at it potentially being threatened in the way we knew it. Uh, but it's more important today than it ever has been. And uh, I think the country is starting to rec- recognize that black history is American history, at least some of the country. Uh, and uh, so anyway, February always is a time where we try to uh, illuminate uh, our history makers and illuminate our American history makers and, and try to uh, even make our kids focus in on what is important about being black Americans. And so it's been a powerful Black History Month. Always hate when it comes to a close. And guess what? It doesn't have to. As uh, Dr. Jamal Bryant said to us a couple weeks ago, it doesn't have to change. We have to teach our kids black history every day of the year and not just uh, not just rely on others to teach black history to our kids. So anyway, happy Black History Month yet again, the last Sunday of Black History Month 2023. And I want to stay there. Uh, we brought on this week a guy that's been very, very vocal, um, ju- not just in general, not just about Black History Month, but just about history. And I subscribe to his column, uh, Observation. If you don't, you should. And his writings are just incredible. Chuck Hobbs is a historian, a social and political activist, and an award-winning winning writer. Uh, as a former trial lawyer, his unique expertise uh, is in both judicial and historical outcomes. And it add that they both together add value to his commentary uh, on law and politics, and especially as it relates to race and gender. His writing has been on The Hill, The Griot, and The New York Times, y'all. Uh, a Tallahassee native, he was recently recognized as a 2023 Cherry Hall Alexander African-American history honoree, which features community leaders who work to preserve and promote freedom, justice and equality uh, through civic and community engagement here in the Big Bend area. Y'all help me welcome uh, my friend, my frat brother, even I, that's history, too, because he's a good Kappa man. Um, Yo. Chuck Hobbs. <laughs> Chuck, thanks for coming on the show, man. How you doing? Hey, good morning, Brother Pittman. Always good to be able to fellowship with you. And chat, like I say, I have uh, been following in your footsteps for 
a long time since you were over at Theta Eta, and I was a senior in high school, uh, president of the Kappa League. I think that was the first time I met you because you were, if I'm not mistaken, I believe you were our banquet speaker. Oh boy, you uh, date you date me, man. <laughs> you uh, date me. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. all right. You, you also telling I'm everybody I'm older than you. That's 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 messed no, no, up. Just about a couple <laughs> years, though, man. But but. But but man, I've always looked up to you and Daryl and Ben and 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 tried to do it like y'all did it and are doing it. And so man, it's always a blessing to be able to sit and talk with you for a few minutes. So well, thank I, you for having me. Well, I appreciate that. Appreciate that, Chuck. And um, listen, man, my mother will love uh, you being on this show today. Uh, she often tells me, "You know, that's your cousin, right?" <laughs> Because <laughs> uh, we go, because we do, we have ties in uh, Inverness and Crystal River, Absolutely. and, and all that River, stuff. Florida, man. That's right. right, so. right now, what they call the Forgotten Coast, man. Yeah. That's right. Spent many a day down there at uh, Grandma Annie Joyner's house, uh, you know, soaking up her wisdom and eating her good food and. And, and all of that type of stuff. So, man, it's a blessing. Please give your mom my best as well. I will. I will. And uh, your your family as well. Listen, man. Absolutely. Carter G. Woodson started Black History back in 1926, right? And and it became yeah. a month in the mid-'70s. Uh, the, 20, the 2023 Black History Month theme is resistance. And you've said before that one form of resistance is letting your voice be heard. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Absolutely, Brother Pittman. I think that we live in a, in a time that is fascinating and that, unfortunately, we've seen some of these things happen before. Like when we think back after the Civil War and you think back on the Jim Crow era that came about after Reconstruction, you know, you had that 12-year period of Reconstruction from 1865 to 1877. Black people were founding colleges, establishing businesses, becoming politicians and power brokers for those 12 years, which I considered amazing, thinking that in eight, as of 1865, they were all enslaved for the most part. Right, right. And then after that Reconstruction period ended, you had 90 years of horrors where, you know, all across the South, from Florida as far up north as Maryland, all the way west to Missouri on down to Texas, all of those states, you know, established different forms of Jim Crow laws that made us second-class citizens, and, and, and the harassment was great. The Klan uh, was terrorizing our ancestors left and right all across the South. Uh, people were being strung up for just, and by strung up, I mean hanged and lynched for just even attempting to register to vote, not just voting. And so there was a huge backlash that happened from all of that progress. And, and, and Brother Pittman, I think we have seen the second part of that uh, in our lifetimes where, you know, when we were coming up, you know, we were born in the 60s and early 70s. And so we grew up in the 70s and 80s and we came on the heels of the civil rights movement. So whereas we never saw uh, Jim Crow segregation ourselves, we heard the stories from our parents. Uh, and our grandparents and aunts and uncles, and, and, and we knew what they endured and experienced. But we came up in an integrated time, and right. we saw so many great things happen for black people. You know, the Congressional Black Caucus is established. The next thing you know, you've got scores of black people that are power brokers in Washington, D.C., all the way through to the election of Barack Obama as president and Kamala Harris as vice president and so many black people that we know personally 
and ourselves own businesses, uh, have sat in those rooms where the decisions are made, uh, you know, being able to be economic uh, vehicles for change within our communities as well. And once again, we're seeing some of that resentment that's coming about. So when you're talking about resisting by raising your voice, one of the things that is of particular interest to me is that as you start to see all of these Donald Trump acolytes and and what have you across the South, I call them the MAGA Republicans, you know, as you start to see them taking control uh, politically uh, across the South, you are seeing so many people who are afraid to push back. And, and Sean, we learned as young boys that, you know, if you've got a bully, the only way that you can defeat a bully is to punch him back. And I don't mean literally. Obviously, we're educated men and women, and so I'm not advocating any form of violence. But you can punch back with your words. You can punch back with boycotting. You can punch back with uh, targeted economic spending. There are so many different ways that we can do things that can make people understand that, look, we don't want to go back to where things were before we were born. We, we, we just don't want to see it again. And I think, again, when you have your mother and I have my mom that are still alive and they're able to tell us about those horrors, you know, it, it breaks my heart. You know, sometimes my mom says, Chuck, in many ways it's worse now than even when I was a little girl because she was like, you know, y'all have the illusion of inclusion, uh, whereas we knew what it was. Said we, she said it was no question <laughs> what it was in my era. But, right, right, but she right. Said, yeah, she said, y'all got people you think they're your friends that aren't really that friendly at all that are trying to do things to undermine your future and your children's future so that's how that's what i mean when i talk about that well i I love that and i think putting those things together so that folks can realize that your voice can be your weapon uh your voice Mm -hmm. can be your defense and it just reminds me of our obligation to call out things and stand up to things because to be silent about it it, it, it doesn't help our generation the next generation right we haven't uh, you know what are we doing with our space and time here and it's difficult we don't we as we grow up in the 70s and 80s we didn't experience segregation the way our, our parents did and their parents did right uh, like they didn't right. they didn't experience slavery like their pa- grandparents and their great grandparents right but but there is this common theme that continues to, to drive all of our situations, right? And that is the mm-hmm. value of our lives. You know, you talk about being, you know, the time of being considered three-fifths of what um, your white counterpart may have been. Jamal Bryan, as I yeah. said earlier, talked about Black History Month and us not just focusing on those 28 days and not focusing on uh, what he called, in his words, the oppressor, uh, the, uh, the being responsible for teaching our kids, that we have to take responsibility for that 365 days. Tell me, though, why, with that in mind, why is Black History Month still relevant today, and and, and what does it mean to you? You know, that's a that's a wonderful question, and and one of the things that I, I will say in response is that we still are dealing with so many firsts in America. And when it's 2023 and you're still dealing with firsts, like a a famous one that we just all experienced two weeks ago, first time you had Patrick Mahomes, you had Jalen Hurts, 
first time ever in 57, 56 prior Super Bowls, there never had been a Super Bowl where both starting quarterbacks were black men. Right. And so when you realize that so many of us are still breaking barriers, right, and 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 going into areas and being able to participate in events that our ancestors would have never imagined it, it makes you stop and realize that well why is that so why is it that if the civil rights movement ended for all intents and purposes around the late 1960s why is it that 50 some odd years later we're still dealing with historic firsts and things of that nature and so what that reminds is that again it's important because I've always appreciated this one thing about the United States of America. I've always appreciated its diversity. And I think that most black people and people of color or people who are not Christians or people who are in the LGBTQ community, everybody that was considered a demographic minority understands the beauty of having so many different ways to look, live, worship, and things of that nature. And so with that in mind, when you start talking about, you know, history and you start talking about why that's important, if people aren't aware of what was, they might be easily misled as to what is, and then that may lead to further confusion about what will be down the line. So it's important for those of us who know the stories, either through having read them or having been able to soak up that wisdom from our our ancestors uh, to be able to provide that information. And, 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 and Brother Pittman, I'm going to tell you something that I found very interesting this morning. I was reading an article, I believe, in the, uh, in the Tampa Bay Times uh, with regards to some of the efforts here in Florida to eliminate diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, and, and what's frustrating me about that is, you know, the University of Florida and Florida State University have worked so hard in the last 25 years to rise up those rankings. I really think hard. Really UF hard. The, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. UF is in the top five. FSU, I believe, is 17 or 18. I mean, when, you know, those things are monumental achievements. And, and I'm very concerned that with the politicization of race and gender and sexual orientation here in the state, that it's going to not only make a lot of talented professors say, you know what, maybe I don't want to work at Florida State. Maybe I don't want to work at UF. But it's going to force a lot of talented students to not want to attend those schools as well. And I think that's a net negative that we have to push back against. Amen. I, I, I will say, too, to add to your commentary is what a distraction to right. all the, I mean, just the efforts that have uh, taking taking place at those institutions and where they are today, what they celebrate, uh, what a distraction to have to now sort of go backwards, right, um, to satisfy a political environment, and that's a difficult thing, man. I, and 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 I read your commentary on that, and uh, I thought it was very powerful, and uh, I, I do want to. That that's a whole nother show, Chuck. Uh, that we're gonna have to man, anytime, anytime <laughs> that we're, man. That we're gonna have to have to come back and talk about because this 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 issue is going to continue, and the biggest question about it, which I'll leave here, is what are we gonna do about it? And so I want to get there, and and actually in this next question, you might you might get there, right? Because because listen, there's nothing new under the sun, right? 
when we think of history uh, repeating itself as it relates to persistent inequalities in our justice system, our education system, whatever systems you, you and, I, and you write about them all the time. But what can we predict and therefore for learn from our past and his, uh, our past in general or the historical figures or civil rights figures on how to challenge the system through policy and create lasting change in the present uh, and in the future. What are we? No what are we learning? Ex- exactly. You get my question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Again, another wonderful question, series of questions, and and what I think that's going to be important is, I want to make sure that we end on a positive note. I think that the great majority of people in our state. Uh, see the world in the same way that we do in regards to respecting people uh, who are different than we are for whatever it might be. I think that what has happened, unfortunately, in our lifetimes is that uh, starting back in around 1994, when Jeb Bush first ran, and then by 98, when he ran and succeeded Lawton Childs, and, you know, we're both old enough to remember when the Democratic Party pretty much ran Florida, and we have seen in our lifetimes where that has gone in a different direction. But what's interesting about the numbers, when you look at the numbers, there's still the issue where the majority of registered voters in this state are either non-party affiliated or the Democrats. And so it's not as if there is a Republican majority, so to speak, here numerically in Florida. But they have done a crafty job over the last 25, 30 years of being able to gerrymander and rig this thing whereby that minority has dominated, like from district map drawing to to policy on the education level. All of those things are, have been done intentionally. And, 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 and what's interesting about that is we have to actually look for, I believe, our resolutions in the courts. So it's a dual track type of situation. On the one hand, mobilization, uh, agitation, you know, going to the Capitol, letting your voices be heard, uh, registering people to vote. That's great. It's necessary. But I think that where the majority of this MAGA would-be revolution is going to be stymied is still in the court system. Um, you know, we all are, you know, we're frustrated to see that Donald Trump had three Supreme Court selections, but the majority of the issues that would necessarily deal with a policy level, educational level issues here in Florida or even social issues wouldn't more than likely rise up to the Supreme Court. They'd have to go up to that 11th Circuit in Atlanta. And with that, we still have a fighting chance of having district judges, particularly here in Florida, in North Florida, in the Northern District, who would be able to take a look at some of these matters and say, that violates the First Amendment. Nope, that violates the First Amendment. And so we're going to continue to have to make sure that all of the, 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 the policymakers that are, you see the world as we do, as well as all of the lawyers that we know that see the world as we do, continue to fight in that dual track kind of way to push back against a group of people who essentially are trying to create an apartheid type system. I mean, whereby the minority can continue to control the majority in perpetuity. Much Mm -hmm. of this is in preparation for uh, that exact scenario. How can the minority continue uh, to keep their power uh, and to keep, 
you know, things as they are and to have uh, to put put their kids in a position where they have the opportunity to live the same lives that they did or better. Right. Um, that's, Absolutely. That's exactly what I see. And uh, and listen, here's the other thing. Here's a here's a, here's a just a really critical way to look at this. And it not, it's not nice, but I'm going to say it. How can you blame them? And, 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 and here's the thing. We got to want to fight. We got to want to fight, too, for our lives. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So Absolutely. When, when, when you have the opportunity to, you know, and I'm not talking about right and wrong right now. Right. I mean, yes, you should not do mm-hmm. what's wrong. None of us should mm-hmm. do what's wrong. We should all try to do what's right. I'm just saying that if, you know, if there is no pushback, then it's likely to go in the wrong direction just because of each, our human tendencies. Each and every time. Right. Pittman, each and every time. And I really like how you articulated that because you're right. It's one of those things where we have to toughen up and we have to punch back because, again, and it also goes back to an old cliche. We have not because we ask not. And so Absolutely. if that fuels where you go, which is you're asking people to donate, you're asking people to put their time and their talents on the on the line and what have you to to deal with policy because begrudgingly I admire um, and and I want to make sure your listeners get when I say I admire I don't respect what's going on but I admire the fact that within our lifetimes I remember seeing the moral majority and the Christian coalition and thinking when we were uh, boys and teenagers like boy these are some loons these are some loony folks that are, are, are at this Republican convention or out here standing around. And little did I know at 12, 13, 14 years old, when I'm starting to finally be very interested in politics, that by the time I'm in my early 50s, that those same people that I thought were loony would actually be having all of their agendas uh, uh, <laughs> placed in the law. That's right. That's right. <laughs> they it, played the long game. Exactly. You know, no, you you're, and we have to be prepared. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. And and here's the thing. Here's and I'm just going to wrap up what I was trying to say here. Here's the thing. They have decided that it's important to vote. They have decided that it's important to show up. Here's the other thing that they have decided. And this is why I say they're the ones who awoke. They realize that we have limited abilities to do anything about it. And so Mm. they have woken up to the fact that they can do this stuff and we may come march. We may come give nice speeches. We may do all of that, but they are immune to that right now. So my question to you, Chuck Hobbs, is what is our modern day bus boycott? Mm. Mm. That. That, 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 and again, I hope to explore this with you down the line, but I'm going to tell you one thing that we have, and we've got it in abundance. We've got it in abundance, man. And that is um, our athletic talent, interestingly enough. And I know some people might say, oh, that's kind of narrow, but no, not necessarily. And not just our athletic talent in regards to our athletes, but also our dollars. Florida is still primarily driven by tourism. And so, for instance, our fraternity is about to have, uh, you know, our conclave in, what, July down in Tampa. And and I know that I had some back-end conversations with some brothers 
that are in, you know, high level in, in cap administration. And they were like, well, you know, the contracts are signed and we get sued. And, and, and you know, we get that, you know, uh, have, having been in a legal profession, we understand that concept that, you know, you don't want to see cap alpha side. Uh, you know, in court, dragged in, having to pay millions of dollars to this hotel or this convention center. But moving forward, if if we could, as collectively, start to realize, like, hmm, if we withhold our dollars, let's not go to Disney World. Let's not bring uh, these Greek uh, conventions. Let's not bring Jack and Jill conventions and NAACP conventions. Let's we 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 fuel this economy to a great extent and not just we as black people but those who see the world as we do who are non-blacks i think if there's a way for us to galvanize that we would bring desantis to his knees because i'm not even convinced that all republicans here in our state agree with him uh our governor is just a bully and so just like the guy that he loves the most donald trump is a bully and that i've got some really good acquaintances and even one or two that I call friends that are Republicans who really don't like the divisiveness that the DeSantis administration is trying to do. And so that convinces me that if we can be committed to it, others would join us and we could bring a lot of this to the knees. Because the one thing that Republicans and Democrats alike appreciate here in the state of Florida is turning a dollar. Everybody wants to make money. There aren't too many socialists or communists in our state. So understanding that if we can control that narrative, Brother Sean, we, we can make a whole lot of changes. I tell you, Chuck, one of the things that, that I think we need to do is somehow on the Democratic side or the independent side, we need to get marketing experts who understand policy, uh, understand politics and policy at the table. I'm not saying we don't right now. What I'm saying is mm-hmm. the Republicans have better ones because look at what they do to words. I mean, do you remember when liberal was an okay thing to say and then the Republicans made it like nobody wants to be called liberal <laughs> and right. and take the word woke, which was a cool word that, that white kids, black kids, Hispanic kids, all of them were just using in a cool way. It had its own little meaning, but it didn't mean what is being defined to mean now. But they have turned that word into something that now is moving towards where liberal went. People are moving away from being associated because it 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 now they're grown they're making it have a negative connotation. So we have to figure out how we uh, we flip this thing and start to take it and, and start to really realize that words are powerful and you know and we need to not have too many of them. Listen, let's hey, man, end up all good. Let's let's it's end, good, let's man. end on a positive note. Uh who are your personal black history heroes? And and there can be one. But since we're talking about okay. Black History Month, we're going to end here in a couple days. Uh but of course, let's not end. But Black History Month as we know it ends. The education will never stop. But I'm curious about your 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 heroes uh, in Black history. Hey man, I, I really appreciate that, brother Pippen, and 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 I have several. But interestingly enough, and not just because they 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 wore the cap of pins, uh, but it just happens to be uh, that they did. So if if I had to name three people that aren't related to me that I admire the most from Black history, they would be 
Robert Singstack Abbott, the founder of the Chicago Defender newspaper, uh, a good brother. I believe he was initiated in the Chicago alumni chapter back in the early 1920s. Uh, the second would be our frat brother, the late attorney Johnny Cochran. <laughs> I, I, I probably don't go to law school, Brother Pittman, if Johnny Cochran hadn't blown my mind while wow. watching the O.J. Simpson trial back in 95. And then the third is our frat brother uh, and also my wife's brother, Lerone Bennett the editor uh, emeritus from Ebony, who passed away a few years ago. Oh, uh, wow. So those are the three, Lerone Bennett, Love it. Johnny Love Cochran, it. and Robert Abbott. Those are my guys. Well, listen, Chuck Hobbs, uh, somewhere down the line, there's going to be somebody else with a show and some other kid, some, some uh, I should say, accomplished person is going to be asked that same question. Who are your black history heroes? And uh, there's going to be somebody who says attorney chuck hobbs thank you brother and listen stay with us for a short Pittman point right after this it's time for Pittman's point on 96.1 jams welcome back to the show uh let's take a moment to talk about living a life of legacy do you want to create something that will continue on long after you're gone of course you do we all do the exceptionally talented Tommy W. Dorch Jr., a global civic business leader, passed away, y'all, on February 15th. But his life had such a big impact. His legacy will continue to resonate profoundly. He was a change maker and a legend within the black community. We had Tommy Dorch on the show uh, once before, and uh, Tommy was an international figure, uh, a purpose-driven philanthropist and a celebrated civic leader whose life consistently demonstrated outstanding leadership and love for ordinary people. He sought out ways to share his expertise for the betterment of others and, and, and had a special heart, y'all, for HBCUs. He served as a trustee at a number of the nation's leading historically black colleges and universities, including, y'all, FAMU. He held six terms as chairman of the 100 Black Men of America. Uh, and at a time and at the time of his passing, uh, also held a number of local, national and global leadership positions and advisory roles. Tommy Deutsch was a mentor, an advocate, a friend and uh, believed that we all have a special obligation to serve as role models for the youth uh, in our communities. He was a man of integrity, y'all, and lived a life of courage, fortitude, sacrifice, and service to others. Tommy Dorch built a legacy. Legacy is as much uh, about contributing to people in the present as it is giving people something in the future. So the Pittman point today is to improve the lives of others by living in integrity. Integrity isn't about ideological or uh, moral purity, y'all. Integrity is about having the courage to say what you believe, mean what you say, and living the life, living your life in service and action for the love of ordinary people. Short-term living is exhausting. But long-term living allows us to overcome obstacles, have direction for our lives, and live with purposeful meaning. That's the bottom line. And that was Tommy Dorch. Let's make an investment every day to build something that lasts beyond ourselves. This has been the Sean Pittman Show, and we'll see you inside. This is the Sean Pittman Show on 96.1 Jams, Tallahassee's big station. We got this.